Hey guys, Montel here, and welcome to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. I'm coming to you from the Seagrass Dispensary in Salem, Massachusetts. In a few minutes, the witches and goblins and demons are all be coming in the door looking for product for next weekend to hang out. But I'm really, really blessed today to have a guest here who has served as the initial chairman of the Massachusetts Cannabis Control Commission from 2017 to 2022, where he was responsible for standing up a safe and equitable market for recreational cannabis in the state and expanding uh, the commission. He was a senior partner at Bain and & Company and also the chief strategy officer at Sapient and the CEO of two other venture capital-backed technology startups. He currently serves on the board of directors and advisory board of several cannabis businesses and with a focus on bringing clinical support and higher quality products to the market for patients who were really seeking out products. Mr. Steve Hoffman, thank you so much for joining us today on Let's Be Blown Montel. Thanks, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for Absolutely. inviting me. You've got an amazing background, but <laughs> I wanna go back before this background and figure out where you're from. Did okay. you grow up in the area? What's your pedigree? Where did you go sure. to school? Tell uh, me a little okay. bit. Okay, so uh, actually I'm not from this area. I was born in uh, New York City in the Bronx. Okay, gotcha. uh, Although I only lived there for uh, about seven years. My dad got a job in Framingham, Massachusetts in 1960. Cool. So I moved uh, up to Boston, grew up here, went to high school um, outside of Boston in Brookline. And uh, my pedigree educationally is uh, I went to Wesleyan University in Middletown, Connecticut, um, then got an MBA from University of Chicago um, and met my wife, who was in medical school at the time. And she got a job in New York. So we moved back to New York and then she got a job in Boston. So we moved back to Boston. Well, okay. Been back here since 1980. And so being here in 1980, let's put yourself back in that 1980 mind for a second. <laughs> Would you have thought if somebody walked up to you in 1980 and said, you know, and Year 2000, you're going to be the commissioner of a, of uh, the Massachusetts <laughs> Cannabis Control Commission. What do you think of that? Uh, not only in 1980 would I have not believed it, but in 2017, um, a day before I got appointed, I wouldn't right. have believed it either. Wow, Just uh, wow, I, wow. I came out of left field. I didn't know this job existed. I wasn't looking for it. I was actually trying to be retired, um, gotcha. not doing well at it. I was bored, and so but uh, it just came out of left field. So you've been you've been working as a partner. Tell me a little bit about uh, Bain and Company. Sure. So Bain and Company is a Management consulting business founded in 73. Um, I was uh, one of the, I think, the first hundred people to join. Um, it's been a great uh, great ride. I'm Bain. Wait, is, you said founded in 73. Founded in 73. I joined in 80 when I okay. moved back to Boston. Got and, it. you know, Bain had uh, large corporate clients and uh, we helped them with business strategy and operations. I was there for 12 years. I ran their Boston office for the last few years I was there. It was a great place to learn, to grow up. I have cool. a network that just is marvelous based upon my time there. So I feel very fortunate I had the opportunity to work there. And then, I mean, really, honestly, when did the, you said it didn't even dawn on you until 2017, but when right. did you start to recognize that cannabis would become still trying to become a sure. viable business. Well, so, you know, in Massachusetts, at least in 2012, um, there was a voter initiative that approved cannabis for medical use. Um, and so I think the first medical dispensary in Massachusetts opened in 2014. And then in 2016, there was another voter initiative around legalizing cannabis for recreational purposes. So, you know, I was a private citizen. Um, I paid attention to those initiatives. I voted on those initiatives, but I really wasn't engaged in the industry or spending quite a, any time really thinking about it. Um, sure. I just, you know, as a private citizen voted when I was supposed to vote. Gotcha. 
And I voted, by the way, um, which is now known throughout the entire state of Massachusetts, I voted against the the recreational cannabis initiative, not because I disagree with the objectives, but because I thought it was just an extraordinary amount of things that had to get done in a very short time frame. And I find it at least semi-ironic that even though I thought it was way too much to do and way too little time, I then got the responsibility of doing exactly that. Doing exactly that. Yeah, absolutely. I found that a little bit humorous. That is a little humorous because it's it's really been crazy. I mean, you know, I, I literally started advocating and... Um, testifying, if I even actually spoke up here in Massachusetts, I'm thinking back in 2009, 10. Yeah. Um, you know, I've been involved in the cannabis movement since 2000. Yeah, I know. I and know. what's been crazy about it is that watching over, you know, I, if you had told me back in 2000 that we'd be sitting here in 2023 with an industry in such disarray, I would have yeah. popped you upside the head and said, you're crazy. Yeah. Well, you know, I, uh, I think that the industry is in disarray, but I also think it's kind of just, the way it had to happen. It's just, it's a new business. Um, you can't copy one state to the other. So Massachusetts has a different law, different uh, demographics than the states that preceded us. So everything had to be started from scratch. And, you know, if you look at the states that preceded us, um, they're going through kind of similar disarray to what's going on here yeah, in but, terms but, but of see, now, falling I, prices and I, so forth. I wouldn't, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you in any way, but I'm just trying to say that sure. had we approached this differently from day one, mm-hmm. we would not have to be here. This could have been a different journey for the last 20 years but we've got an industry that literally in some ways has forced these what is it 37 different municipalities different legislative rules about cannabis because we're 37 states and yeah no i I, yeah the fact that you're doing something that is legal in a state but illegal federally means that every state is unique absolutely and and as i said we went when we first started we went to people in Colorado and Oregon and Washington State said, help us, you know, what did you do right? What did you think you could have done differently or better? Sure. And we learned a lot, but you still can't lift and shift. It's every state right. is unique. And, you know, there's no there's no roadmap. Right. It's uh, it's pretty much, you know, and, and I, I'm proud of what we did. I won't say it was perfect, right. but I'm, I'm proud of what we did. I think we got a lot of it right, but there's a lot more work to be done. And there's stuff that, that isn't working as well as it should that needs to be fixed. Well, who rolled up on you and said, hey, would you like to step in to be the commissioner? <laughs> so uh, the way the uh, law was written, is that uh, the, the state treasurer, um, Deborah Goldberg, um, mm-hmm. was responsible for appointing the chairman. Um, the treasurer and the uh, governor also, or the, the attorney general and the governor had other appointments, but the chair was appointed by the treasurer. And she turned to some of her you know, colleagues and said, help me find somebody. Um, she turned, among others, to Stan Rosenberg, who used to be the president of the Massachusetts Senate. And he, in turn, ended up talking to a friend of mine. My friend said, I know the perfect guy, but he'll never do it. He'll never do it. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, I went home that night and uh, I, my wife got home from work. And I said, babe, you'll never guess what happened to what I heard about today, but said, I'm not doing it. And she said, and I quote, she said, are you crazy? This is the adventure of a lifetime. How could you not do it? Sure. And my wife, as always, was right. And it was the adventure of a lifetime. But, you know, she talked me into it. But it just came kind of haphazardly, as I said, through, you know, a network of, you know, contacts. Sure. And you literally stepped into the lion's den having to actually formulate a lot of regulations and yes. rules that Massachusetts has gone under. Yes. Ups, downs. I think, I think we did a pretty good job. Um, I, you know, I think the regulatory structure, you know, we had to write the entire set of uh, regulations from scratch and we had about a five month period to do it. Um, it was an enormous amount of work. Um, I think, I think we did well. Um, I think that, um, it took us a while to build the organization because not only do we have to do the regulations, but we had to create a state agency from scratch. Right. And I think it took us maybe a little longer to do that because for the first you know six to 12 months, it took a long time for people to get licenses. Sure. We weren't as responsive to incoming requests. So it took us a while to build the kind of uh, institutional capability 
to manage the business. But I think the re the regulations have stood up well. We've gone through a couple of rounds where we've iterated, and we said at the very beginning, we said this is the best we're going to be able to do right now. But we know they're not perfect, and so we'll see how the industry evolves and we'll make changes. And we've done so. Sure. So you know, I, I think as I said, I'm proud of what we've done. I won't say it was perfect, uh, and there are some things I wish we had done differently. But mm -hmm. I, I'll put our track record in terms of standing up the industry from scratch against any other state that did so at the same time, or sure. plus or minus. Sure. You know, I've been in the state now. Um, I have a brand and I've been in the state and in between 30 and 40 dispensaries at any given one time. Yep. And, um, you know, here for about a year and a half. And um, in interactions, because I do get to talk to multiple stakeholders, sure. you know, multiple individuals who own and operate their dispensaries. And, you know, I mean, almost to the letter, and I'm, again, not an dispersion, I'm just asking. Yep. Most people have a complaint about what they consider the implementation of the equity rules sure. that were involved. Yeah. How do you address that? Yeah, I, I think equity is one of those places. I, I don't know that I would say I wish we'd done things differently, but it's really hard. And I, you know, I, I think we have not gotten to where we need to on that. Um, it's certainly not through lack of trying. But but it's not where it needs to be. Um, so you know, equity was an important part of the legislation. As a matter of fact, Massachusetts, when they passed the legislation in 2017, was the first state in the country Got that it. had equity um, in uh, the objectives rules. in the in, in the legislation. Got it. Um, and we created programs that identified people that had been harmed or lived in communities that were harmed by marijuana prohibition, mm -hmm. gave them. Um, priority in terms of getting into the application in, in, in the application queue um, reduced or eliminated application fees licensing fees gave them training um, and you know we uh, we worked very hard at it I think we ran into a couple of obstacles um, and we, we kind of knew in ahead of time we were going to but uh, one was the way the Massachusetts program works is the state gives licenses but before the state can even consider a license the city or town in which the um, applicant wants to operate has to give them approval something called a host community agreement um, the state had these equity mandates in its legislation. The cities and towns had no equity requirements at all. So they were the funnel um, of applications that came to us. So it wasn't an equitable funnel, if you will. Gotcha. The, the other thing, though, the biggest thing by far is that, that a lot of the applicants just didn't have financing. And of course, because of federal uh, illegality, you know, the normal sources of financing, banks, you know, venture capital, people weren't investing in the industry. And so a lot of the applicants who were in the front of the queue and, and could have opened had a hard time getting financing. Um, one of the things I'm proud of, although it took four years, is we worked with the legislature to get them to change the community rules so that the communities now have an equity mandate Got it. and to divert some of the tax revenue. And we're generating last year, I think, $300 million of, of, of tax for the state sure. um, to divert some of that into a fund for equity applicants to provide them with some capital they couldn't get from traditional sources. Gotcha. It took four years, though, four to get years. that, and that's one of the reasons we're not where we need to be. And a lot but, of the but, other but, states don't, don't, you know, you don't have to knock yourself because a lot of the other states don't. No, it's, 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 really, it's really hard, and particularly sure. because of the federal illegality, you know, it's just hard to find sources of capital. Um, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you reached outside. You said you reached out to some of the states sure. to see if you could, you know, avoid some of the, the pitfalls and obstacles and impediments. But did you kind of reach out to just like get a pulse? Because uh, what I mean by get a pulse, I've, I've been looking at data in the last couple of months that really just is mind boggling. Yeah. Lots of states have passed some sort of legislation for cannabis. The rest for cannabis is up, not down, up. And especially among people who are brown and black yeah. across this country. Yeah. California still arrests people. Oh, yeah. You could, well, you, can purchase, you could purchase something, drive. 20 miles go through a municipality that's just a finger in that highway yep. get pulled over you're going to jail yeah 
going to jail. Yeah. No, I, uh, Illinois, uh, Michigan, Florida. It's it's like you know, it's almost as if. And I, I asked, have you had an opportunity? You you can stealthily sit in a room and hear conversations that I could not hear if I sat in that room, because as a person of color, those people in that room who are conspiring right. yeah. to continue the slave mandate yeah. will conspire will conspire to do that if I'm there and they won't speak. Yeah. But if you're there, they might speak. Free. Yeah, I. I don't know. I mean, this is going to sound like a government a government bureaucrat talking to you. Sure, no, that's all right. Um, yeah. So my authority was to implement and enforce the regulations. Gotcha. You know, the arrests for you know, driving under the influence or possession. Um, it's still you know that's I absolutely no saying that we we did try very hard to minimize the black market. Or at least, you're never going to eliminate the black market. The black market is robust here and, as and it is it, all across the country. all across country. But hopefully we can make it you know as as minimal as possible. I, I think that most people, given an option to purchase something legally um, and know it, what's in it and know it's safe, uh, will do so. But there's always going to be a black market. Sure. And um, you know that that is a law enforcement issue. Um, it's not a cannabis control commission issue. So I I, I completely agree with what you're saying. I, I will just tell you that you know i while abhorring what's going on i had absolutely no ability to do anything other than as sure. i said try to make the the legal industry as safe as possible and and i think you know i think we've done a, we've got, there's been very little you know kind of uh, law enforcement activity around the industry itself around right. the legal industry do you think like here in like in massachusetts and several other states that have legalized for rec and medical yep there seems to me to be an over issuance of licenses. I mean, yeah. I think that's part of you know the overall plan to make sure you can keep this industry down. Yeah, I I, I would push back pretty hard would against you? that. I agree. With the, I agree with the first half. There's too okay. many licenses, but I'll push back on the logic at least in Massachusetts. Okay. So we we talked about this quite extensively about whether we would limit the number of licenses mm. that we issued in the state, and we agreed not to. And the specific reason we agreed not to is that the law said that. Anybody that was already operating a medical marijuana business could get to the front of the line and open a recreational business as soon as the law passed. Mm -hmm. um, if we put a cap on the number of licenses, those guys would have come in and before any of the equity applicants had a chance to you know, learn the business, get financing, get you know, municipal approval, there wouldn't be any space for them. They, they, all the lights would be gone. So we deliberately kept it uncapped to give people that took a little longer to get into the market the opportunity to do so. Unquestionably, that has created too much capacity, and Correct. it's going to take a while for that to kind of like settle down. But the reason was explicitly to make it possible for equity applicants to get into the marketplace. Wow. Okay, that's so, interesting. So I, 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 I push back. I push back on, sure, on no. your reasoning. Hey, yeah, but see, I, I would guarantee you, you would probably push back on a lot of my reasoning <laughs> in this space. But I, I'm, I'm sorry. No, no, no. I think no. the track record over the last 80 years has proven out what is happening in America. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I'm, not we, we, I'm not disagreeing with that. We, at all. We I pass legislation that says it's okay to go and buy a product, and then a person buys a product, and yeah. they drive two blocks, and somebody yeah. pulls them over and puts them in jail because, yeah. you know, we've got a industrial prison system that yeah. needs to get fed. I'm, I'm truly not aware, and this could be that I'm just ignorant, and I would plead guilty to that. Um, I'm truly not aware of that kind of circumstance. I, I'm aware that law enforcement in Massachusetts has busted a couple of unlicensed uh, grow facilities. Yes. Um, I'm not aware of anybody, you know, and, and the law does not allow, it, it is legal to possess up to one ounce um, when you're out of your house um, okay. in Massachusetts. And I don't, it doesn't matter whether the city or town is in favor or not in favor, you can't get busted for that in Massachusetts. Okay. Wow. 
So, you know, I, I won't speak for other states. And it could be, as I said, I, I, I plead, you know, it's quite possible. In some, of the, in some of the other states, they are allowing under DEA and other regulations right. to be able to step in and bust yeah, I, I, that is really not, As far as I know, that is not the case in Massachusetts. I'm not aware of one circumstance where that uh, that happened in Massachusetts. Here, push, push back on this one. What do, you sure. think about, <laughs> what do you think about this next presidential election? Because I believe <laughs> the same thing is going to happen in this one that happened before the last one, and that is everybody's going to talk smack about, oh, I'm supportive of cannabis regulation yeah. change. And then they'll talk that to see if they can get a vote. Yeah. But then once they get a vote, they will run to the yeah. hills. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm skeptical uh, that cannabis legalization is going to occur at the federal level anytime soon. And, anytime and, soon. And I'm skeptical for probably a different reason than what you were just articulating. So I uh, had the opportunity to meet with a uh, U.S. senator. I'm, gonna, I'm not sure. going to mention his no, or her name. Okay. Democrat, though, quite liberal, one mm -hmm. of the, the more liberal members of the Senate. And um, I had an opportunity to talk to this person for about 10 minutes, one-on-one, -on -one, and I talked to him about legalization. And now you know the gender, but I talked to him sure. about legalization. And uh, what he said, he said, I think it's the right thing to do, but as a senator, I have way more on my plate than I can actually do something about. And he said, I decide based upon what my colleagues are talking to me about and what my constituents are talking to me about what I'm gonna do. And this is not on their list. That's because this and, industry has done itself a disservice. One, the industry as a whole, I believe, misunderstands that if they came together mm -hmm. and started the same lobbying efforts that Big Pharma has done for right. our entire life, mm -hmm. you would have more senators making this a priority. I, that, that's got to be true. If, if there was, a, I, if, if there was definitely if there's effective lobbying, then that yes. Yeah. But but you know, here's a senator who, as I said, is one of the more liberal members of the Senate, and he's saying, "I agree." Nobody, nobody's knocking on his door. Nobody's knocking on his door. That's that's well, correct. This that's industry exa needs to knock on. That's exactly right. Door. And I know there are federal there there are federal lobbying efforts. Mm -hmm. I just doesn't doesn't seem like they're being particularly effective. But I, I that's something and, I don't well, really not have. As extensive as they have been. I, let me yeah. tell you, when I first started off, you know, advocating in this industry back in 2000, 2001, 2, 3, 4, 5, I was all over the country, probably once a month yeah. doing an event for some legislative body for some committee testifying before. I don't know of anybody who is doing that on a regular basis. I'm, I'm not aware. I know, as I said, I know there are some there's some lobbying groups. Um, right. It just doesn't seem like they're, they're being particularly effective. Yeah. But but it's not something I've been directly involved in. I mean, I did I did speak when I was in my job. I did speak to each member of the U uh, the Massachusetts congressional delegation, the two senators and our uh, all of our reps, and they're supportive. Um, but right. again, I, you know, I think that every every congressman or senator has limited political capital sure. and they make decisions about how they're going to invest that limited right. capital and right now it doesn't seem like they're doing that, I, that certainly seems to be the case <laughs> and, and you know and, and now there's you know this rescheduling push where you know house and human services has recommended to dea that they reschedule from schedule one schedule three i think that's that a doesn't solve anything because no. it's still illegal Correct. and there's a, there's been a lot of pushback i don't know if you saw the couple of senators have filed uh legislation saying that the dea can't decide on their own to accept that they've got to get legislation right. so uh, that's why i said a few minutes ago i i don't see legalization occurring imminently um, and it's one of the reasons that I'm, I'm spending a lot of my time now on the medical space and a lot of people say well wait till you know federal uh, legalization occurs and then all the medical community will get involved there'll be more research more science 
I can't wait for that. Um, right. So well, there, first off, but there's enough. There's a lot of research and science going on around the world. I've, I looked yeah. at last year. I think it's like thirty thousand peer reviewed. Yeah. Public yeah. No, I, I, did, I did the same. I did the same search. Yeah, thirty thousand. Thirty thousand plus. It's, it's but, not like but, that's that's more research than on alcohol. But but most of the research, not all of it, but most yeah. of that research is about um, the effect of cannabinoids on the human system. Yes. Uh, there's not a lot of clinical research saying you know for these symptoms. This treatment will have these effects with these side effects. There's a lot of stuff going on in Israel. Oh, Israel and Canada that, yeah, uh, are the two it, places. Probably Israel has been really leading yeah. it when it yeah. comes to looking how, trying yeah. to figure out ways to administer under a pharmaceutical right. kind right. of a system. Right, yeah. No, they, you know, but they, they've they're, been doing they're, they're, there's, there's some stuff going on, but but you know the, the, other, the other problem with, with uh, federal legality is that any institution, whether it's a medical school, a teaching hospital, mm -hmm. a research university, if they get federal funding, they're loath to engage in this kind of research because they're worried that their federal funding is at risk. Which is really ignorant in the sense that when now science is proven, it's almost like in the lobbying efforts, we forget to remind the federal government that they were the ones who gave themselves a patent back in 2002. Yeah. You now, know, I, delineating its, its efficacy. Well, one of the things that is always, for my entire time in this industry, um, one of the things that's amazed me is that there is still a gigantic stigma and a gigantic lack of knowledge or ignorance. Yes. Um, and you've got to fight that um, pretty much every day. And it's not something you can legislate away. It takes mm -hmm. time. One of the things I kept saying is, you know, I got invited to speak to chambers of commerce a lot in the early days of my uh, chairmanship. And, you know, they were all curious about this and worried about this. And I said, my objective is to come back here in two years and see the guy that has the dispensary sitting right next to you and the guy that owns the farm down the street that's growing cannabis um, just to normalize it. And I think normalization is going to happen, but it's just slow. And as I said, there's a ton of stigma. There's yeah. a ton of ignorance and you can't legislate that away. I think at some point in time, though, we're going to have to, uh, when this industry, just like hyperbarics. Yeah. For, uh, it's, uh, so that's, something I'm, I'm, that's something I'm totally familiar with. Well, but, but, <laughs> but, you know, the hyperbaric world, you know, there was a period of time. Me oxygen is medicine. Right. People need to understand it. It yeah. is medicine. Yeah. And so, you know, there was a 40-year period of time where there was really no lobbying effort. I mean, you've heard about hyperbaric chambers for sure. different wound care and other things like yeah. that. But you I know, don't know much about it, but I've heard about it. But, yeah. but it's it's been used for 40 years, but yeah. there was no national organization yeah. or governing body. It's the same problem that's going to happen right yeah, here. Yeah, no, I, 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 I do think, I mean, I, I look, I, federal legalization is going to happen. Right. But I just think it's going to take a long time. And I agree with you. I don't think the lobbying efforts have been particularly effective to sure. this point to get it to where it is high enough on the agenda of enough senators and congressmen for something to happen. Absolutely. Well, you know, what do you if you now you've, you've stepped down as commissioner? Now, I did. Right? I, my term ended or I, I stepped down in April of 2022. So four and a half years into it. So, you know, now having been out, you can look back in <laughs> hindsight and figure out no aspersions against anyone who right. took over. But what do you think? The next two years looks like in mass. <clears throat> well, I think that there's a couple of things. Um, you know, one is as we talked a few minutes ago, there, there's too much capacity. Got it. Um, and uh, you know, if you looked at the states that preceded us, Colorado, Oregon, and Washington State, they all had the same thing. When when the industry started, there wasn't enough cultivation capacity essentially, so prices were real high. Everybody's raking in the money. Then cultivation, which takes longer to come on board, caught up. Yes. Prices cratered, and it happened in Colorado. It happened in Washington State. It happened Nevada, in Oregon. Everywhere. And it's happening in Massachusetts. Um, so prices are compressing. Um, as we talked a few minutes ago, we did not cap the number of licenses. So there are, two, quite honestly, too many dispensaries. 
um, there's going to be a shakeout. Um, and I think it's going to take a couple of years. I think that the well-run businesses that are in good locations um, that are careful about conserving their capital will be fine but there's going to be some you know some damage along the way unfortunately yeah, because some of the big msos now have yeah. figured out a model to be able to produce well you know the msos are you know i'm not i don't i spent i spent zero amount of time when i was in the job and now worrying about them i'm worried okay. about the small guys and Got it. you know the msos are going to do fine you know we did we do have in the legislation a cap on the number of licenses any individual entity can hold so the MSOs aren't going to take over the universe. Got it. Uh, and I, as I said, I spend no time worrying about them or thinking about them. I do think about the little guys. Wow. And you know, again, Mash, you think some of this will shake out? Um, you know, I, I have noticed that here, though there's a plethora of product offerings. Yep. Still eclipsed by other states yeah nevada do you, do you see and envision some of the product offerings increasing yeah i i, I don't know i, I don't I, I really haven't looked at those data so i I'll, I'll take you on your word at that um i don't really think that there's an institutional reason i can think of why that would be the case i know that there are a lot of startups that are you know coming to market with new products and new categories of products um but i don't really have any insight into if massachusetts is different or you know kind of less well penetrated by those products okay. than other states you are consulting with some other cannabis companies now. Um, I'm, on the, I'm on the board. On of the board. And, and, you know. Um, Is that where you intend to stay for a while or are you you're I, done with I, cannabis? I, I'm, no, I'm still, well, I'm 70 years old, so I'm done working full time. Gotcha. I'm with you. But, uh, but I, I, look, my view of cannabis is that I, I, I'm i a believer in legalization of recreational cannabis. People are going to consume whether it's legal sure. or not. We might as well make it legal, safe, and so forth. So I support that completely. But where my passion is, is around the medical side of yes. the equation. Um, and as we were talking before, medical cannabis is a miracle drug. It ca doesn't cure anything, but it can provide relief to so many kinds of Absolutely. symptoms for so many people without the side effects of alternative treatments like opioids and other things. And as we said, um, you know, everybody says, well, just wait till federal legalization occurs and the academic community is going to get involved. The medical community is going to get involved. I'm not optimistic that's going to happen anytime soon. Right. But there are private companies that are trying to bring science in terms of pharmaceutical grade cannabis drug development to the market. Companies that are trying to provide medical cannabis patients with clinical support and guidance. Um, that's where, at least until legalization occurs, that's where the opportunity is to have a gigantic positive impact, and that's where I'm spending my time. I'm working with a couple of those companies that are doing the same thing. Yeah, so, yeah. no, there's, yeah, a, there's a bunch of them out there, and, and yep. you know, the other thing is I'm a startup guy. I mean, I've always gotcha. been a startup guy, and so I said I have no interest in the MSOs of the world, but I do have a lot of interest in, in some of these startup companies that are trying to bring the benefits of medical cannabis to a greater number of people. Thank you so much, Stephen, for being a part of the show today. We couldn't have asked for a better interview. And how about a really nice place, though? Right? I appreciate it. So thank you so much for the opportunity to speak with you. Absolutely, sir. And thank you for all the hard work you did. Okay, I appreciate you it. doing. Yes, sir. And make sure you continue to tune in to Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Thanks for joining me on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback also, so please send us your comments. <laughs> Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin, and I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. 
check out a new episode every Monday.